Hi, my name is Pat Live and welcome to Love the Music. Today is Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021. Welcome to the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in the Changing Time. I've joined Shakura Saida on her back deck in her new home in the west end of Toronto. It's a gorgeous summer day and the next door neighbor has decided today is the perfect day to not only cut the grass, but to also get a couple of chainsaws going in unison. For your added amusement, we have a choir of cicadas who've decided to rehearse, some loud trucks, and an airplane or two overhead. I first met Shakura at Mariposa in 2019. She commands the stage and her voice soars above the crowd. Her love for singing, the audience, and the people she performs with is palpable. I was fortunate to capture Shakura's performance on Mariposa's main stage, as well as on a few of the smaller stages salted throughout the festival grounds at Tudhope Park in Aurelia. Let me encapsulate this multifaceted and multi-talented woman's career in no specific order in a single run-on sentence. Shakura, singer, songwriter, mother, actor, playwright, world traveler, Maple Blues Award winner, Juno nominee, three albums with a fourth in the works, lead singer of the 13-piece world music ensemble Khalifa, trilingual, she was Brooklyn-born, raised in Switzerland, but she's chosen to make Canada her home. Although encouraged to sing, music was not Shakura's first career choice. Acting was. It wasn't until she performed at the Montreal Jazz Festival she finally realized what she was born to do. However, the event that changed her life came in 2008, when she competed at the 24th International Blues Challenge in Memphis. Among a hundred other acts that came from all over the world, Shakura was the first runner-up. Each artist who competes in the challenge must be sponsored by an affiliate of the Blues Foundation, the host of the challenge. Those who make it to Memphis are already considered the best of the best. Um, My name is Shakura Saida, and I'm a Toronto artist who travels around usually, only I'm not traveling around in the same way right now. Yeah. But you're a singer? I am a, I am a singer, I'm an entertainer, I am a, um, an actor, and I'm a playwright and I'm a songwriter as well. Multi-talented woman. No, multifaceted. Multifaceted. <laughs> multifaceted. Yeah. And talented. Yeah. <laughs> Working on that part. Yeah. yeah. Okay, where were you a year ago? And where did you expect to be now? um, It's really interesting. A year ago, I was just looking at my memories. I was in... I'm trying to remember. I was... We just finished Mariposa, right? Mm -hmm. And from there, I think we went to Europe. I was looking at my Facebook memories. So you get a whole list of places that you've been. Um, I I wasn't overseas last year, ironically. But I think I was on my way out west. Um because Mariposa had just finished. Um, I was probably on my way out west. Either way, I was definitely on tour with my band and, um, yeah, gearing up. Where did you expect to be now? I actually expected to be home, ironically. I didn't have a large tour book for this year. Um, I was supposed to be finishing up my album. 
and working on all of the things that have to do with that and doing a little bit more creating. So I had a few gigs um, missing from Europe. I was supposed to do Europe earlier this year and I was going to travel around a little bit. I was going to be doing Calgary uh, Blues Fest, things like that. But for the most part, I planned on being home this summer. Very nice. Yeah. How coincidental. Yeah, very much so. So what's your current situation now? What do you mean? What are you, what are you working on now? What are you doing now? Um, I'm working on releasing a single uh, by the end of the month, beginning of August. I should have my first single release, which is um, Clap Your Hands, a song that I wrote with Kevmo a few years ago. And um, looking forward to that, looking forward to figuring out how to do that during this time because it has to be handled in a different way. Everything about the album has to be handled in a different way. So I'm enjoying figuring out how to get past all these challenges, you know, and to create something that is going to be the same but different. It's going to be received differently from how I intended it, if I intend at all, you know. Yeah. Has isolation affected any of your, your approach and how you keep yourself relevant? No, because I don't know that I worry as much about keeping myself relevant as much as I worry about keeping myself authentic. And my authenticity hasn't changed. You know, I've had some moments where I, I thought about jumping on the bandwagon, thought about releasing things because everybody else was releasing or doing shows because everybody else was releasing shows. And I have a really good mentor right now by the name of Stephen McGrath. And the words he posed to me were, if there was no pandemic, would you be doing this? And so that's been my mantra through all of this. If things weren't happening the way they are right now, would you be doing what you're thinking about doing? And it's allowed me to stay grounded, it's allowed me to stay in the moment, and it's allowed me to stay authentic. And those things are super important to me. It's also allowed me to stay connected to people, to things that I always want to stay connected to, but haven't always been allowed to. So in that way, my relevancy is more about my connections to people, you know, and things, you know, the things that are important to me. So is, has anything that's been going on as far as pandemic isolation related being reflected in any of your music? Or is what you're releasing, all, was it already written? Interestingly enough, everything that's coming out has, I, I hadn't felt up until about five days ago, I hadn't written anything new. Um, I just wrote something new and sent it off to my co-writer. But the songs that I wrote, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, or two years ago, or three years ago, that are already on my album, are so relevant right now. And understand, I'm not just going through a pandemic. I'm going through a global shift about race. And so as much as this pandemic has changed my mind, the conversations and the non-conversations about race have changed my spirit and have made me more resolute in what I'm doing. And my music that I already created resonates even more because of that, because this journey of race, this journey of spirit has been going on with me for the past five years really strongly. And um, everything is already there. So I think it's amplified but it certainly hasn't um, changed anything. 
It's interesting because a number of artists that I've spoken to have written pieces a year ago or two years ago and had planned on releasing them now um, or were going to release them in the fall mm -hmm. and how they match up. Julian Taylor is a really good case in point mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. with The Ridge. That actually wasn't going to be released until the fall. Mm -hmm. He had just started with a song here and a song there. And... Um, he was in, I guess he had conversations with different people, and they said, you know, that really touches something deep inside people. Mm -hmm. Now is the time to get that out. Well, Julian is a, is a foreteller. You know, he's, okay. he's a shaman, and he yeah. is a, he's a truth speaker. Mm -hmm. So it's not surprising that what he's created is timely, because he's always in the moment. He's always present with what's happening, even if it hasn't happened yet. He knows that it's going to happen. So, how are you coping personally with everything? I'm having a great time. I am having the Wonderful. best time in so many different ways. My life has changed. My mind has changed. My spirit has changed. I'm doing workshops that I've never had the opportunity to partake in or that the opportunities have never presented themselves because they've either been too expensive, I've been on tour, they've, they've not been something that I've considered. So I've been doing so many workshops. You know, I'm doing a workshop right now on dance and body and spirit, you know, in an indigenous way. Um, and it's incredible. I don't dance, you know. And so to be in this group Zoom with people and, and be fearless when it comes to moving and, and showing myself moving and not be caught up in my ego is, is, is a change of mind. You know, I'm exercising. I walk for two hours, up to two hours every single day. I get up at 5.30, I'm on, I'm out by 6, 6.30, and I'm connecting with a friend that I haven't connected with since we were in high school. We were best friends in high school. So my physicality has changed. You know, I don't have the same pain that I had four months ago. I sleep without turning and tossing in pain. You know, I sleep deep now. Um, my love for myself has changed. What I will allow and not allow in my life and what I want for myself is bigger and grander. Um, I, I'm having a great time in this moment. I have moments of sadness. I have moments of fear. I have moments of confusion. But truthfully, I'm happy. And... I'm grateful. Look at what we get to do right now. Look at all the opportunities that are opening up. And I recognize the privilege with that. I recognize that if I was in a different place where there is no running water, there is no electricity, there is no way of staying socially distanced, my reality would be extremely different. Yeah. So in this privilege, I am happy. I have food in my fridge. You know, I have shelter. Um, I don't know where my next gig is taking place. I don't know where my next dollar is going to come in. But strangely enough, I'm not worried about it in a, in a large sense. What is worry going to do for me? All I can do is be in the moment and prepare and, and work towards, but I can't be worried about it. I just have to sit in this moment and go, I have a really great house. I have a really great group of friends. I've connected with amazing women, amazing men. I've reconnected with amazing friends. And I get to breathe, inhale and exhale in a really freeing way. So I'm happy.
Live performance is key to the development of most artists, especially young artists. What do you think the live, is a loaded question, what do you think the live music scene is going to look like going forward? I just had this discussion with a friend of mine, Terry O'Dobby, uh, who lives out in Oakland. We have a showcase that we do every year in Memphis called um, Her Majesty, and we've taken it to we've taken it to Switzerland last year. We were supposed to be, you know, touring it this year, and then touring it again in the future. And I'm a live music artist. Mm-hmm. I enjoy studio, but I am a live music audience. I feed off of the energy of the audience. I, I, I live for that circuitous exchange of energy that happens. It allows me to, to grow even larger in the music and, and to give out even more. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm planning to have next weekend or this weekend coming up, I'm planning to have a socially distant jam session in the back. Dion Taylor lives five minutes away from me. And, um, and so we've decided that we're going to bring the band in and we're going to socially distance them and we're going to invite a few people to come and sit because the backyard is so big we can do this. I don't know. I truthfully don't know. I think what's going to be interesting about this is everything that we're doing right now is 2D, isn't it? We're, we're on a screen and people are watching us from their homes and they're enjoying us, but is there really a connection? And I think what we're really going to find over the next few months, few you know, weeks or months, is who has the ability to transcend, transcend to D? Who has the ability to connect with people when they're not being seen and when you're not seeing them in that same way? You know, you don't know who's watching you. I think it's going to change how people perform or how deep inside themselves they go to connect with that, that id. You know, performance can be a very selfish thing. Um, it can be a very ego-based thing. And the true entertainers that, that I enjoy and that I've always worked towards um, being are those that connect with their audiences and forget about themselves and think only about how can I bring all of you one by one into my heart and how can I connect into your heart. That is probably where live music is going to to go if it stays on Zoom, if it stays on YouTube, if it stays in these places. Um, but I also think that we're going to find a way to be healthy and safe and protected and be in spaces, you know, um, and that's going to be a challenge too because we're going to have, you know, disconnectors. I know what it's like to be on a stage and have the drummer have a shield around him. And like, I hate it because I miss that, that touch, that feel. You know, I know what it's like to have ear monitors in as opposed to monitors on the ground that are coming at you like this. So I don't know what it's going to be like to have this, this you know, president shield, you know, the things that the presidents and the, the world leaders use. I don't know what that'll be like, but that will separate those of us who know how to truly connect with audiences from those of us who don't. That will be, that will be the deciding factor on whether our live performance will live on or whether we'll have to find new ways, you know, because... You're going to have to be able to connect. 
Connection's a huge thing, and that's what this, actually, this whole series is all about, is connection. And now, for our first musical interlude, is the perfect song for the times, called Bring Me Back. This piece is from Shakura's third studio album, released in 2012, appropriately and simply enough called Time. Do you remember when we were kids? Life was so simple then. Do you remember how we used to play? Running around to the end of day. Episode 6 of the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. We just heard Bring Me Back by Shakura Saida. You are listening to a pre-recorded interview I had with Shakura back in July 2020. So on that note, and speaking of Julian, he brought up a really good point the other day. He said, uh, 
when I asked him the same question, one of the things that he responded with, he says, is I fear for my daughter. I don't know if this continues, if she will ever be able to enjoy what we've enjoyed with live performance. So is it going to, are, you, are we going to raise a partial generation of kids who are only focused on screens because nobody's out doing live performances? And by the time we are out doing live performances, the kids are so focused on the screens that they don't even understand what a live performance is all about. So his fear is that our, our, chi our children are going to be able to enjoy live performance the way we did. I think that they will because the children that already have parents who would have brought them to live performance will find a way to bring that into their lives. What might be missing from that thought is the fact that our kids, I have a 23 and a 30 year old, so my perspective is different because my kids have grown up on screen. Yeah. You know, they've grown up watching YouTube channels and learning how to play instruments through YouTube channels and, and putting their performances on SoundCloud, you know, and listening to things and sharing things that way. They grew up with MP3s and MP4s before I even knew what they were. But a lot of those kids have now gone to the place where they are performing live. And I was just walking past a neighbor the other day and he had this country band sitting up on the on his front yard and they were playing and all around them on each corner were groups of neighbors in chairs standing up with strollers with kids in their arms listening the human spirit will prevail you know we we have to give ourselves that credit and that trust that that artist will find a way to make art that is still connective it's part of the artist experience. Yeah, we're going to have to get more virtual in a lot of ways, but we're also, I think this is going to be a huge boost for local artists because we're not going to be able to travel and go see, you know, the artists that, you know, that sells, you know, a million dollars in record sales. And also, um, you know, we're, we personally aren't going to be able to travel, so we're going to have to work on our local basis. You know, Canadian artists, are going to blow up. Did you read my questions? I did not read your <laughs> questions, but Canadian artists are going to blow up. Mm. Toronto artists are going to blow up. Each region, the musicians in that region are going to blow up because people are going to be craving that. We're all on a level playing field now for the first time ever, I ever. think. Mm -hmm. Is this a golden opportunity for local artists, indie artists, to rise? And shine. And to me, it's, it's um, you know, we have the whole eat local, shop local, grow local. How about listen local? I think that's a huge part of it. I, I think that this is an opportunity for people to use this in working towards their end game. You know, you mentioned Lisa McIntosh and the thing that I spoke to her about years ago and the thing that I believe a lot in is end game. What is your end game? Where do you want to end up, you know, a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now, whatever your goal is. And I think that this is an opportunity that can definitely be used towards that. I think that um, this moment can help you to inform where you are already going to go. This moment can help to inform everything that you needed to get to where you wanted to go. You need to build your fan base up. 
well now you can start that go sit on a corner with a guitar or with a monitor you know or start working on your facebook list or start working on whatever it is start working on your instrumental craft start working on your collaborations with other people who you might not have otherwise been able to collaborate with this is a great moment to to incubate you know so yes i do think it's a golden moment i do also think that it's um a golden moment for audiences by now everybody's getting really tired of netflix and crave and all of those things everybody wants to be outside so this is a golden moment for everybody who's been sitting inside huddled frightened in their homes to go out and say what do i not know about my city what do i not know about my citizens what do i not know about the artists who inhabit my my city whether they be musicians whether they be vocalists who i consider musicians whether they be food places whether they be gardens my neighbors what do i not know about all of these so i i think that it's not just a golden moment for artists it's a golden moment for all of us to reconnect with or connect with all of these things that we might not have otherwise had an opportunity or thought about connecting with because we never considered it never considered it it's never been a thought you know how many people say hello now i'm walking along the humber river i'm walking uh, down by the beach people look at you again and say hello their faces aren't in screens because we've had enough of screens yeah. we've been looking at screens for 5 months is it 5 months yet it's coming up yep yeah we've been looking at screens for 5 months now people are finally willing to look up look somebody in the eye and say hi good morning how are you we were recognizing people again isn't that amazing it's a beautiful thing isn't that amazing it what is. what a as you said golden opportunity yeah is 2020 do you think 2020 is going to be a career killer for some yeah especially as those that aren't it. as well established as we know it absolutely yeah the things that we're going to have to do in order to survive as an artist yeah it is a career killer of the careers that we thought we were going to have but it is also an opportunity to reassess, redefine, reidentify, reapply everything that we might have forgotten and move towards that change. Yeah, it it does. You know, I I was writing a grant the other day and all of my points that are my personal achievements and my way of proving my established position. You know, I've been to 28 countries. I toured this place, I toured that place. I'm well established here. Look at all my magazine covers from all over the world. And I plan on uh uh and I will go to uh mm. uh or ellipses. <laughs> you know, I I will I will use this to uh uh what am I going to say? I can't say I'm going to use this to travel because I don't know that to be true. I can't say I'm going to use this to tour Europe. I don't know that to be true. Okay. I that career is done for now. That career is done in this moment. So, yes, I think everybody should consider their career that they had dead. But I think they should also use this as an opportunity to say, where have I never thought about going? If the sky was the limit, what have I never done that I've always wanted to do? What new things can I think about achieving? How can I not just support myself but support other musicians? 
about two or three weeks into COVID, I was speaking to two of my girlfriends who I always connect with on FaceTime. Um, and they are Anika Chambers. And uh, Anika Chambers is originally from Texas. She's living in Florida right now for her husband, Paul Delorier, who is a Canadian blues artist. And I think Juno Award winner as well. I, I heard the name. Yes, he's incredible. And Anika's incredible. And Anika Terry and I have had this friendship for quite And I asked them how they were doing, and they weren't doing well. So I said, you know, we need to check in with some people. So I arranged for a Zoom call with Anika, um, Terry, Kelly Lee Evans, and Anita, um, Lady A. And there was maybe one or two other people on that call, just about four or five of them. And we asked each other how we were doing. You know, we shared a little bit of our stories. And then I said, well, you know, do you guys want to meet again next week? Sure, let's meet again next week. Met again the week after that. The week after that, we met again and I invited a couple more people. Thornetta Davis is in there. Misha Berger Gossman is in there. Don Tyler Watson's in there. We meet again a couple weeks later and we've got Shamika Copeland in there. And we've got Ann Harris, this incredible violinist in there. And Freddie Stover from, from Detroit, or from Pittsburgh. I always get confused as to where she is from. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, Patty from Tuck and Patty's in there. And we've got this this national, international group. We've got Kelly Badu from Winnipeg. And we've got, we're, we're going from Halifax all the way across Canada. And we're going all the way down Florida and all the way to California. And there's 20, sorry, now there's 31 of us. That's a hell of a Zoom call. That is, there's never more than about 16, 17 women on at a time. We, we jump in and out, but we meet every single Tuesday. We missed one Tuesday where I actually needed to regroup because there were so many, I no longer felt as though we were serving a true purpose um, and, and being able to honor everybody's presence right. online. We're meeting every week. Now we're doing, we're inspiring each other in different ways. We're speaking about how we can grow from this. I've got ideas spiraling off my head on how I can best serve this group of women creatively, musically, because it's such wow. an amazing group. When you hear these women sing, Tia Carroll started singing last week. And I was like, oh my God, her voice is incredible. Before that, Terry O'Dobby started singing, or Lady A started singing. They, just off the top of our heads, we started singing. Sometimes we have a dance party. Last weekend was game night, where we stuffed marshmallows in our in our face and, and tried to talk at the same time. We played charades, you know? Oh, I wish I had a capture of that one. Oh my God, we <laughs> laughed like my face was hurting, and I slept the deepest sleep because that laughter that was released. Yes, there's been a death to my career as such what I thought was going to happen, who I thought I was going to be. But look at the opportunity of connecting with all of these women and this community of, of black women specifically that I would never have connected with. I would never have known what I know now about these women and what I now hold sacred about these women. It's a time to think, what have I never thought about? What have I never considered achieving? What have I never thought achievable? That to me is the greatest gift of all. It's, look at what the universe is giving us. Look at what's never been considered. Look at how great we can be. It's a very cathartic time. Yeah, it is. I think.
a shedding a shedding of old skin. I don't even know if we're putting on a new skin or if we're just standing there exposed and, and vulnerable and open to all the hurt, all the pain, all the love, all the hate. We're just standing there, you know, and when we start growing back a skin, what is that going to look like? For our second musical break, we're about to hear Don't Tell Mama Where Her Children Hide, also from Shakura's third album, Time. Never had no wants I wasn't a bad child Heard more do's and don'ts And maybe that's why I turned To the devil's side So even when I'm face down In the ground Don't tell mama where her children hide Maybe good for a while, but then I need my own thrills. And maybe that's why I turn to the devil's side. So even when I'm laying down in the earth, don't tell mama where her children are.
Welcome back to Love the Music, Episode 6 of the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. We just heard Don't Tell Mama Where Her Children Hide by Shakura Saida. You are listening to a pre-recorded interview I had with Shakura back in July 2020. Please bear with us as that lawnmower, chainsaws, and plane decide to join the interview. They are only momentary disruptions, but I've kept these pieces in because not only do I love what Shakura had to say, but I think they're important. It's really kind of impossible to really prepare for anything like this. But human beings innately like to plan. We are planners. We like to look forward to, you know, you write a song, you get in the studio, you put the album together, you're planning ahead, you want to release it. Do you think that this is a good opportunity for people? We couldn't have planned for this, but now, thinking ahead, okay, this is now a good time for us to sit back, reflect, take a look, and plan for what we want to do when, we, when that gate opens. I and we can finally get back to what, especially musicians, finally get back to performing again in particular. I think it's the time to prepare. I don't think it's the time to plan. You know, I remember the the first time I met Betty Levette officially. I had gone to see her when I was 41. My girlfriend took me to see her at Lee's Palace. And I'm sitting in this drag of a club and this astounding, amazing woman performs. And I fell in love with her. And I also felt something reflected um, from her to me. I felt very connected to her. And then uh, a year or two later, I was able to meet her in um, Halifax. And she sat us down. Don Tyler Watson was there. We're in the dressing room. And she said, prepare. She said, I've been waiting for 50 years for this to happen. But I didn't sit and wait. Every day, I would get to the gym and I would work out. Every day I would learn new songs and I would learn new compositions and I would practice my singing and and I would practice what I was going to be doing on stage. She said, prepare. And I just spoke to her about three, four weeks ago and I said, you gave me the tools to get through this. You know, you said, prepare. And that's what I'm doing. By doing all of these workshops, by strengthening my body, I don't know when this is going to stop. I know that it will. I don't know what it's going to look like when it does. So to plan for something that you don't know is, is for me, it doesn't work. But to prepare myself so that I can be as strong as I need to be in every moment, that's the best that I can do. And even though I prepare myself, there's still going to be stuff that I'm not prepared for. You know, and and I'm I'm prepared for that. You know, <laughs> We're preparing for the unpreparedness. <laughs> Absolutely, I have no expectation that everything is going to go according to plan, but I have every expectation that I'm going to prepare to the best of my ability. That's it. I like that prepare instead of plan. Do you think artists in general, and, but I'm thinking more of the gig economy as far as musicians go, are a little bit more flexible or adaptable? to changing and what's going on around them? I think artists know how to pivot. I think if you're a good artist or if you've been at this long enough, um, we've watched our industry be threatened before. And, um, I mean, we've had recessions. You know, in the 15 years that I decided to become a full-time artist, again, I've gone through two opportunities where my entire livelihood stopped, even though I had prepared 
you know, and said, okay, now I'm going to do, you know, full on voice work and I'm going to do corporate work and I'm going to, and then those, everything dried up at the same time because there was a recession, you know, and I'm left there going, what do I do now? So I had to go back to the drawing board and say, now what can I do? You know, what can I do that won't end? So I think we know how to pivot a little bit more. You know, one of the reasons I haven't panicked as much about this pandemic is because I'm used to being home for long periods of time and then being away for long periods of time. I'm used to touring and then I'm used to coming home and resting. I'm not a gigger. I don't do clubs. You know, when I'm home, I'm usually at home preparing or, or, or resting or, or revamping, whatever it is. So I think there's a lot of artists like that who are used to these periods of having to go, how am I going to shift? I do also think there are those of us who've become complacent, mm. who've become used to getting a certain amount of money over a certain amount of days, over a certain amount of months, and, and counting on that, and not having to shift and change what we do, not in repertoire, not in presentation, not in outreach, not in community. For those of us who have become used to that, yeah, it's going to be kind of hard to shift because all of a sudden you got to go, oh, I can't get what I used to get from where I used to get it from. Who am I now? Yeah. Got to go back to that artistry. So you think for those artists who tour nonstop, are gigging nonstop, and whether it's the clubs or whether they're actually doing tours wherever they're touring, all of a sudden it's come to a screeching halt. Do you think this is a good opportunity for them to maybe sort of reflect, learn how to be off the road, learn how to be with themselves. I've heard that a lot from, from the women and from other people that I've met who are tours. This is the first time, you know, people have been home for special days in their family or their special days. This is the first time that they've, um, that they've been able to sit in their house and go, oh, Look at what's around me. This is the first time they've been able to spend this much time with their children, mm -hmm. with their loved ones, with their partners, with their parents. Um, this is the first time they've been able to enjoy their garden. You know, this is the first time for me I've been able to create a home for myself that I really love, enjoy, and like to be in. Ever. Ever. So I do think there there is that thing of, okay... Let me just sit in this for a minute. Um, I say this all without arrogance. You know, um, there's a humility that is that is that is indigenous to this happening. We are all on a level playing field. No matter how great we are when we get out there, no matter how successful we are when we get out there, some of us can go out there and make money in this because we've been so successful. But really, truthfully, all of us really are in a level playing field right now. And, um, yeah, this is, this is the opportunity to sit in it, to just sit in it. And wallow in it. And wallow it. And appreciate there's, there's it. A, there's a parable, you know, that says something about, you know, a bird being pooped on, you know, and, and being in that... You know, being in that poop. You know, sometimes you're in the, you're in it. You know, I don't remember exactly what it is. He's warm, so he starts. Yes, I remember the yeah. parable. He's he's warm now in that poop, so he's 
he's so happy he starts singing. Yeah. And the problem was is with the singing, the cat manages to find him in a poop. <laughs> so we all know what happens after that. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just need to sit in and be quiet. <laughs> meditation yes, might go a long yes, way yes. what do you think it's going to take to get people back into the venues to see live performance I think it's going to take people being accountable for other people I really think that as an artist I want to feel safe I don't want to be in a place where I'm inhaling which is what I do when I sing and exhaling which is what I do all of that energy and either getting people sick or getting sick myself I think that people have to know that they're safe and that they're being thought of, that they're um, being cared for. Our communities need to look after each other right now. Um, maybe we'll have places that are COVID, COVID zones for those people who are positive. It sounds silly, but it's been talked about. You know, maybe there, there are those people who either have are having it or don't don't care. You know, and they'll be able to go to these places, you know, in a different way. But then you got to think about the servers. You got to think about the environment. I don't know. I honestly don't know what it's going to take. I have this belief, and it, I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's if it's uh, a belief based on on fantasy, but I have this belief that this too shall pass, and that we will get back to more what we used to call normal-looking world. And I don't know how realistic that is. That's that is my belief. And and um, and that's what I hold on to, that we're doing this. <laughs> and now the dog starts. And we're doing this, not necessarily in the moment, but in the meantime. Right. You know, let's do this while we prepare for something else. You know, that's that's my belief. Most musicians rely heavily on touring, and you are a touring artist. Yes, ma'am. And selling their merch yes, at various events. Do you think that charging for live streaming, maybe some cross promotions or more sponsorship, is going to be the wave of the future? Not necessarily totally cutting out the touring, but they're starting to charge for live streaming now, buying tickets. I think it's important to do that. I think it's also important to know that a lot of people don't have a lot of money right now or are hoarding their money because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Um, but I think it's important to, to charge. I really do. I think that what we do has value. I think that people need to honor the value in it, even if it's 5 or $10, so that they do appreciate the act of sitting there and the act of listening, and the act of partaking in this art. Um, and so that the artist, you know, honors the act of giving this art fully and with, with true intentions. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that in itself is circuitous. There has to be this thing of, I'm paying for this, not just because of money, but I'm paying for this because I'm honoring, and I'm accepting your money because it is an honor to play for you. So I do think that paying for live streams is important. Absolutely. 
This is really interesting. We have lawnmowers, dogs, bar, and now somebody's got the uh, saw going Dude, over there. I, I We're outside, folks. And, so. and I got to tell you, it's usually so quiet and so zen back here. But I think probably a memo has gone around saying we're recording and, you know, please, please, please join us. Please join us. Make, make some noise, folks. Make some noise. Well, please that, join us. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of reading on the pandemic and what's been happening with the music business. And one of the interesting things that I've discovered. Is this like a cacophony of, of, of saws now? There's like more yeah. than one happening? There may be more it's than one. It's a concert. One. Yeah, it totally is. Wow. Okay, well, we'll okay, just yell into the mic. Folks. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Sales of musical instruments online yes. have skyrocketed. Yes. The other thing that's happening is that musicians are um, pulling instruments out of the closet that have been buried there for 10 yes. or 15 or 20 years. Yes. So, so now we have people, we have people buying purchasing instruments thinking this is the time i'm going to take to learn something yes. you have existing musicians who are now oh boy we got everything going back here we have we also have musicians that are i've got a drummer pulling out you know the guitar or yes. somebody a bass player is learning yes. the piano is this um going to create maybe possibly a new renaissance in music a lot I of absolutely experimentation. Think so. You know, uh, my friend Brooke Blackburn is now, I know him as a very talented guitarist for many, many years, for 30 years. He's playing guitar, bass, drums, piano now. I didn't know that guy could do that. Paige Armstrong, my guitarist, is now, I see him on the piano playing. He probably played piano before, but now he's playing the piano. Another friend, Sandy, who is uh, Dion Taylor's husband, is picking, he's playing guitar now. And Dion, we were at a social distance um, visit at her place, and she started playing the ukulele. You know, we begged her to stop, but you still, she's playing the ukulele. But I have, I have all the confidence in the world because she is a talented musician on, in her own right, that by the end of the month, or by, no, I'm going to give her two months, she's going to be playing and I'm going to be enjoying it. So absolutely, there is a renaissance happening with people saying, how else can I express myself? The ways in which we have chosen to express ourselves no longer suffice. Our voices are no longer enough. We need new voices. How else can I connect? It all comes back to connection, doesn't it? It does. It all comes back How to connection. How else can I express myself in a way that will allow me to be heard yeah. over the noise, ironically? Over, yeah, literally and metaphorically literally speaking. And metaphorically. <laughs> over the noise. How else can I... Can I show people that I have value? Show people that I have thoughts worth hearing? How else can I express my, my emotions? Because how I'm feeling, I've never felt like this before. And one voice, whether it be a literal voice or a guitar or a piano or a violin, isn't enough anymore. So I'm going to dance, I'm going to draw, I'm going to paint, I'm going to play piano, I'm going to take up yodeling, I'm going to, I'm going to garden and grow things, I'm going to make a baby. However, I don't think this is going to be unique just for musicians and artists. I think this is something all of us are doing. For a while it was, I'm going to bake. Yeah, there's probably thousands of loaves of sourdough bread out Listen, there. Listen, somewhere in the freezer, somebody has sourdough for everybody. They're like Oprah with the sourdough. <laughs> and you get a... You get a 
you get the you get a free loaf. You get a loaf, and you get a loaf. <laughs> Pick a door, any door. There's Call sourdough me mother. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeast mother, that is. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. Oh, that was good. I need to remember that one for my kids. Um, but yeah, I I do think that we all are finding new voices, and why not? These are the gifts that we've been given. I am amazed and I'm so grateful for this. I think that's why I'm so happy because there's so much newness to this. We have forsaken the earth. We have forsaken each other. We have gone to things that did not matter and made them relevant in our lives. And now we're recognizing that we need to get back to what really matters, which is connections with each other but most importantly with ourselves right. so that we can connect with each other. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also wondering too if you're particularly a writer, a songwriter, and I'm, I'm a drummer and I decide I'm going to pick up the guitar. Connecting with a different instrument and seeing the music in a slightly different way because they're two completely different instruments or a bass guitar and a rhythm guitar, or a piano and a guitar. Finding your voice. Finding a different Finding voice a different and having voice. an appreciation for that voice so that when you do come together to write, your, you, your, your appreciation and the connection with the instrument and the people, the professionals whose instrument it is, that there's new, new material, different material being written. It, not just different material being written, but how we listen to each other changes. Right. So when I hear a guitar now compared to when I heard guitar five months ago has changed. When I listen to music now, what I'm tuning into has changed. I'm more attuned to different voices. You know, and for me, again, I say, I'm not just going through a, a pandemic. I, I'm going through, I personally, I'm speaking only from my point of view. I personally am going through a reawakening when it comes to race, when it comes to racism, when it comes to eracism. Um, when it comes to to violence and so those voices have changed me as well how I listen to things you know it's sort of like when the me too hashtag me too movement happened mm. how we listen to women's voices changed how we process women's voices changed how men express their voices changed as well because they had to listen to how they were used to expressing themselves to us and about us, and that had to shift. Me as a black woman, how my voice has shifted and how I've started listening to voices of people of color, of indigenous people, of white people has changed, has changed dramatically. So all of those voices, how I choose to express myself as a black woman has shifted and changed that's going to change musically, artistically, how I choose to express myself, harmonically. You know, my voice, a friend of mine was saying, she was listening to me sing on a video that I released a few weeks ago, and she said, your voice is, is I don't know how to explain it, it's, it's lower, it's deeper, it's, it's, it's changed. And I said, I'm grounded. I know, I know even more who I am now. I know who the world around me is more. I know who my allies are. I've watched the shift. 
I've watched and I've listened and I've heard the voices around me. I've heard the silent voices as well as the loud voices. And I know exactly where I stand with everybody around me. And so that in itself changes how I choose to amplify my voices, whether it be musically, whether it be instrumentally, whether it just artistically, you know? So yeah, thank you. Collaboration on two different levels. Mm. Collaboration among artists. Um, this seems to be encouraging collaboration uh, musically, songwriting, you know, the people are on Zoom, etc. The other toss of it is it's now the collaboration among artists on the more of the business level of having each other's back, of collaborating. Uh, not, 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 there's been a lot of competing with each other um, and more collaboration with the venue owners. We were losing a lot of venues. Is this an opportunity for musicians to start to work together, not just in songwriting, but on, on, on uh, almost a business level, I guess is what you'd call it. I've and always done that. Yeah. I've, that's always been important to me, that, that, that my brand not just be about me, that it be about a, collaborate, a collaborative effort, because I'm part of a village, I'm part of a community, and I become greater when I process, not process, excuse me, when I, I don't know, when, I, when I'm part of greatness, other people's greatness, you know, I've, I've always done that. And I think that that is what a lot of people are discovering now. That's part of amplifying the voices, isn't it? It's part of that whole thing of, you know, what have I never thought about doing? What have I always wanted to do? What have I never had time to do? Who's somebody that I always wanted to work with that, I never thought we'd want to work with me. And then, yeah, venues, people that we care about. You know, we've, we're losing, we've lost two venues that I know of this week, the Orbit Room oh, and um, uh, I think Alley Cats. And, uh, oh, no, not Alley Cats, yeah. too. And and I think there was another one that has gone by the wayside. Oh, the, hide, the, the, the hideout's gone, Club 120's gone. Yes, yes. It's just I mean, so, so falling there's, like there's a lot. There's a lot of venues that we're losing. What can we do to support those who, who have always supported us? That whole thing about competition with other artists. Mm. Excuse me. I, I, um, well, part, part of that competition is, you know, in the indie scene, in the club scene, You'll have a band, I mean, first of all, the bands aren't paid all that much to begin with, and it's gone from guaranteed contracts to passing the tip jar pay to play. Um, but on top of that is um, young bands coming in to clubs and saying, oh, well, you're going to pay him 100 bucks, or, you know, these guys are going to get, the four-piece band will get 25 bucks each. I'll come in and play for free. To me, that's really not having each other's back. I mean, you really need to work together. They're undercutting each other. So there's always sort of this deep competition of because I just want to play, so I'll do it for nothing. And to me, it starts to, uh, people come out and they, they expect to hear bands for free, um, and I don't think that's very respectful of the artist. But that comes from, an, that comes from ignorance, I think. Um, and it also comes from, from us not doing the work. You know, I was raised musically, and I always say this, I was raised musically by Archie Lane, by Jackie Richardson, by Salome Bay, by Joe Seeley. I was raised by these people to understand community, Dougie Richardson. They taught me to understand communicating with your community. 
outreaching with your community and bonding together with your community so that you all knew what was going on. You talked about the club owners, you talked about the musicians, you used each other. And so you were constantly building that community and those community people didn't undercut each other. Those community people phoned each other up and said, how much did you get? Well, I got 500 bucks. Okay, so I'm gonna ask for five. I might ask for more. If I ask for more, I'm gonna let you know. So everybody was making the same money. You know, if you were competing with each other, then it was on a level playing field. You're hiring me because I'm good at what I'm doing. You're not hiring me because you're paying me less. Because if you start paying me less, then we're gonna keep going down. But here's the thing. We as musicians, and I can only speak locally, the people that I know, we as musicians haven't done the outreach with, the, with each other. We've not had those conversations. And that requires trust. That requires vulnerability. That requires um, a level of professionalism that we haven't been allowed to get to because the opportunities are not big enough. You know, we have a musicians union that used to control most of the live venues in Toronto. I grew up, you know, playing at Myers Deli and, and the musicians union, I was a musicians union member. And so all of that was set. I don't know what happened to that. I don't, I don't know, know what, what happened, happened to that representation. And I also don't know what happened to that participation in our livelihood, why that stopped. And I, I consider that a, a sad state of affairs. That's all I can say about that. You know, we as musicians need to, need to have each other's backs in a way that we haven't. You know, we need to be able to have that open conversation and say, hey, this club is playing, this club is paying a thousand bucks for the week. You know, that's 200 bucks a night for five for five nights. You know, what can we do that doesn't, that's a silly number, but what can we do that doesn't take money away from us? Maybe we can do a week of solos. And then maybe the week after is we can do one band for one night and then we'll do a week of solos again so that we each make money. Do you know what I mean? And we highlight each other in different ways. How can we make this work so we're all making something? But we've not had those conversations with us, with each other because it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with us, it doesn't occur to us, or we're so busy thinking about ourselves that we can't think about our communities. What have you learned from all this? From all this conversation? Or no, from all this, <laughs> all this, this whole, everything that's been happening with the pandemic. I've learned who my allies are. I've learned who my family is. I've learned who my community is. I've learned who I am. I've learned that I, I am who I always knew I was. And that I actually haven't changed. Now I've shifted and I've grown, but my spirit hasn't changed. And that to me is a really wonderful thing because I actually like me. And I've learned even more about love than I thought possible. I've learned that we all have the ability not just to change our future, and our present, but we all have the ability to, to change our, our community in big ways, in humbling ways, by the simplest of actions, just by looking at somebody else and saying, hello, just by acknowledging somebody else's presence. We change everything by listening to somebody else. We change people's lives. And we haven't been doing that for a long time.
No, we haven't. You might have been doing it negatively, but we can change things positively too. Okay, so two positives to come out of this. One personally, one professionally. They're both the same. I, I'm following, Somehow I'm following I knew you were my true say path. That. <laughs> yeah, they're both the same for yeah. me. My professional and my personal um, intersect a lot, you know, because I need to be as authentic as possible. And, um, and I'm, I'm following my true path and, and listening to my spirit. And I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to learn, to rediscover that, and to stay true to that. That's worth everything that we're going through. If I can, if I can continue on this path and serve my community, serve my people, serve the greater good because of everything that I'm taking in and loving, then all of this is worth it. I may not feel like it all the time, but all of this is worth it. The last question is just a bit of a fun one. The one artist that you would love to perform with. When all of this is over, I'm gonna take these 30 women that I have been connecting with and I'm gonna share a stage with them. And it's gonna be the most spectacular, wonderful tour that has ever happened. That's what I wanna do. And it might be more women by then, but that is who I wanna share a stage with. All of these women that I have been connecting with, these women that have held me up, that I have held up, that I have learned so much about, and that I now am committed to honoring I'm committing to just being a part of, you know, that's what I want. That's your community. You've just listened to an interview I had with Shakura Saida back in July 2020. Many, many thanks to Shakura for taking the time to share her thoughts with me. And to those who are listening, I appreciate your support and inviting us into your cars, offices, and homes. Again, the lovely piece of music you hear at the open and close of each show was written and performed by Eddie and Quincy Bullen and Paul DeLong. I am Pat Blythe, and you're listening to Love the Music. Have a great day and a wonderful evening.